Acts, as you can see up there. Let me read you a few verses. And this is, a, 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 as Mike has suggested, it's a very practical view at evangelism, and I find that usually works best. And so let me read from verse 14 to uh, verse 21. I won't read the whole lot, verses 14 to 21, and then I'll make reference to, to all of it as we go along, okay? And as I talk, if you have any questions, fire the hand up. Just ask me a question as we go. That would be great. But Peter standing up, verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be uh, known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So it's about nine o'clock in the morning, basically. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Can you just turn it down a bit, please, Mike? Thank you. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, let me just leave that there for a minute. Okay. Too many slip out. Okay, so uh, sharing the good news, uh, I, I actually just call it this because I figured that um, uh, it's a simple title. I do find that when you talk about um, evangelism, and invariably when you're in a church and you talk about evangelism, people's eyes sort of glaze over and think, oh yeah, here we go. This guy's going to give us lots of grief on evangelism and so on. But I think it's uh, important to understand that for most of the Christian church, and I think if you did some research on that, you'd find that most Christians, not all, have never witnessed, not even once, not even once. So obviously that has to be changed. So I'm looking at the whole idea of, uh, you know, can you imagine for a moment, let me give you an illustration of what we can get excited about. Imagine a medical researcher has spent years investigating a possible cure for, say, cancer or coronavirus, it's a more modern one. And so after years, say, years of painstaking research, this person not only discovers a cure, let's say, for um, cancer, but for every variety of cancer. So no exceptions. Whatever the cancer is, this, this cure will, will do the job. Now imagine this person making a deliberate decision not to make known this amazing discovery. And especially since it's so simple. One pill, taken once, done deal. Okay? So... However, in this case, we can say that the researcher was completely the opposite to that. This person couldn't wait to tell everybody about what had happened because he realised that hospitals would no longer be the same place. Every variety of cancer can be cured. The oncology department, you might as well shut the doors, and uh, you know that's what's happened. Well, you can imagine the news about this, um, about this uh, find would spread like wildfire, a bit like when they found Cleo. You know, the news spread like wildfire. It was just incredible. Have you heard? Have you heard? I mean, it's, I can't believe it. They found her. 
we couldn't wait to, st- to talk about it and share about all of what had happened because it was such an amazing event, a most unusual event. But the thought of keeping such a, a, a news about a cure for cancer was very far from this researcher's mind. And he had in his mind the whole of humanity and what this would mean to the whole of humanity, especially since the cure is shockingly simple. So for the researcher, there's this overwhelming burden and passion and vision to spread the good news about uh, the cure for all forms of cancer. Now, the researcher's driving motivation behind all of this is simply this, that this good news will bring such joy, such relief, and such hope. Wouldn't you agree? So it is with the gospel. We are the ones that have the only cure for the cancer of sin. It's us. Ordinary, everyday people have the cure, the only cure, for the cancer of sin. And for whatever, whatever the reason is, somehow or other, the urgency about spreading the news of this cure has been taken away. Paul uh, you know, talked about it uh, in Corinthians when he said, I'm compelled, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm compelled by the love of God. And for some reason, many of us in the, in the Christian life have found ourselves in a situation where we're not. Now, I don't, I don't try to actually explain why that has happened. I don't understand why the reluctance to do it because I know when I first became a Christian, it just totally changed my life. And from day one, I had a desire to share the gospel. Now, that doesn't make me anything exceptional, but we need to realize that we've been called to go into all the world and make disciples. And that's an important distinction. But somehow or other, I think the church has rationalized that gossiping the gospel is something that's optional. Oh, no, no, this is something optional. It's, it's a choice rather than a command, and that's not what the Scriptures teach. Now, it's not about trying to make people feel guilty, but it's about helping people to understand what the Scriptures actually say and how we respond to it. And I think that's really, really important, because after all, what we're sharing is not bad news, we're actually sharing good news, or at least I hope so. So in sharing this cure for sin, we must know how to share the Gospel clearly, appropriately, and effectively. So in this passage, there are six things I want to mention to you tonight. And I trust and pray if you would like a copy of the notes, I've actually given them to Mike to put on the desktop and you can have a copy of the notes if you'd like them and, uh, and go over it again and have a look at what I have to, to say. But the, it's really important that these are helpful points helping us to share the gospel with mum, dad, brother, sister, friend, neighbour, work colleague, whoever it might be that God brings upon our path that we can do that. Now, what we need to realize is I'm going to share these six points in the context of what we call the process of evangelism. So the process is pray, sow, water, reap, disciple. Now, why is that process so important? Now, I'm reading through the newsletter. You've got a carols event coming up. So what happens with some churches is that, well, let's invite people to the carols event. So the question I will immediately ask you is, how many of those people that are invited to that carols event are being invited in the context of the process? So in other words, you're praying for that person. You've already sown a seed in their life. In fact, the carols event might be a little bit of water on the seed. And then maybe when Easter comes, you reap the harvest. And then you take on that role of discipleship. Pretty important in my book. So let me give you the first of these Points, very simple points, and I know you'll just say, "Uh uh-huh, I understand that. Well, the first thing is verses 14 to 15, 
The walk needs to match the talk. That's the first thing. Amazing things were happening in this New Testament church. It was the inauguration of the New Testament church. Strange noises, divided tongues, all sorts of things that were happening. And uh, it's certainly something that was in need of explanation. Peter was quick to stand up and give a testimony, to give a testimony of, uh, as a transformed man as to what was happening. So Peter shows us, first of all, the importance of how you share your testimony in witnessing. Now, I look at the woman at the well. And when you look at how Jesus leads her through all the various steps that he leads her through, then you see in verse 9, it says, And many of the people of that area believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the word of the woman. Now, had she been to college? Had she had any training? Had she done any of those things? No. So what she did was she just shared her testimony, as simple as that was. And she just went out and gossiped the gospel. So sharing your testimony gives you a starting point. Sometimes it's a simple starting point. And so, look, let me tell you what happened about my life. You know, and what I, I think is really important here, it needs to be kept simple. Some people had this um, curious desire that they need to share their testimony and it's death by a thousand cuts. They give every minute detail about their testimony. And by the time they get to the end of the story, they're, you know, and they're thinking, what's going to happen? But no, what we do, when we take someone on an Impact Africa mission trip, we teach them how to do a three-minute testimony and a 45-second testimony. So I walk up to Rob and I say, now, Rob, give it to me in 45 seconds. What was life like before you became a Christian? And he just, eh? Will, sorry, Will. I beg your pardon, Will. Beg your pardon. Uh, sorry, Will. My apologies. So, but the idea here is that you will tell me what life was like before you became a Christian how you got introduced uh, to Christian li- uh, you know, cr- what Christianity meant and how you became a Christian. That can be done in 45 seconds. So it's really important that we learn how to do that. Now, also, it's important that when we share our testimony, that it fits the relevant situation. If you follow Paul's uh, three occasions in the book of Acts where he shares his testimony, he alters his testimony on every occasion to fit, the, to fit that uh, situation. So our story should always point to Jesus how he drew us to himself. So it's really important for us to see that. And one of the things that drew me to Jesus, and I can just share this about myself, is that my lifestyle was empty. I was involved in a number of relationships uh, that would invariably end up in some sort of sexual relationship. And at the end of it, you know, the, the Australian culture was, you're the man. You're really living the life. And, I, and I'm thinking, something is missing here. You know, I, I don't feel that way. I feel very unhappy. And I discovered later that it, Uh, the reason for that was it was never what God planned for us in terms of our relationship. And we're seeing what's happening in today's world, the number of marriages that are breaking up and families that are being destroyed. I discovered this. I discovered that it takes a real man to step up to the plate to love his wife and his family and to do it unconditionally. And then the, 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 the next thing about your testimony is that it's very important to present the gospel clearly without jargon. So words like repentance grace, salvation mean nothing to the non-Christian. You might as well speak Japanese. It means nothing to the non-Christian. And so often people can be looking at you as if they're taking it in and, and everything's you know, going in okay, but in, re- in reality, it's clearly not happening the way we think it is. So the need for our walk to match the talk is further underlined by the fact that, our, that we witness first with our lives, then that gives us the opportunity to witness with our lips. So our lives uh, need to be marked by authenticity and credibility. Put simply, we need to be real. 
You know, Francis of Assisi was quoted as saying this, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't have to say anything. Well, no, he's not suggesting that we don't use, use words or the use of words is unnecessary. That's not what he's saying. What we need to understand is that our conduct is of such an exemplary nature, people want to know why you're different. Then you speak. Have you ever watched a film that's been dubbed? Just nod. Good. Okay. And so, for example, the film is going from French to English. And we see here, now you see the lips are moving, but the dubbing doesn't match the movement of the lips. And it's really quite funny to watch, isn't it? When you go, like this, you know, you're thinking, what's going on? Immediately, you sense something is not quite right. But when we talk about our walk matching our talk, we want to know that our actions are in sync with our words. Do I have an amen? Very modest. But anyway, we'll work on it for tomorrow. So the tragedy is that when actions contradict our words, it means we present a very confusing and ineffective version of the gospel. I remember meeting, meeting one guy and uh, chatting with him about all sorts of things. He said he was a Christian. And then he started telling me about how he was cheating the tax man and how he was doing this and how he was doing it. I'm thinking, it's no wonder nothing is happening. So that's the first thing. The walk needs to match the talk. Here's the second thing. We need to learn how to use our Bibles. Look at verses 16 to 21. So Romans 10 and verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, what? The Word of God. Thank you. So the Word of God is critical to our effectiveness in witnessing. Now, I didn't bring it with me, my, my little Bible. I usually have it in my back pocket. But when we go on our Impact Africa mission trip, this is what this is, we all have Gideon's New Testaments and we... We'll, we'll have our Bibles there, we'll have them marked up, we'll do all the things. So we're ready to use the Scriptures the moment we're in the prison somewhere or we're in a squatter camp somewhere, wherever it might be, we're there somewhere. So that's what's happening. But here, I love the, the way the Word of God talks about this in Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So it's absolutely accurate. How do you divide between soul and spirit? There ain't much space, as far as I can see. But it's, it's just absolutely accurate. And between joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes, to whom we must give account. So notice how Peter uses the Scriptures. He immediately is clarifying about where the New Testament church uh, has come from, from the Scriptures. Peter goes right back to the book of Joel, the Old Testament prophet, and declares that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, why does he do that? Because it's not some sort of man-made document. It's not some sort of human, uh, uh, sort of made-up mumbo-jumbo, but it's the Word of God. And Peter declares that the Word of God is the Word of God by inspiration. If you look at 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, he says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter declares the Word of God is just that. The Bible doesn't contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. That's it, full stop. So then Peter declares, not only is it the Word of God by inspiration, but he said it's the Word of God because it's accurate. 
So you go, going back to the, the book of Joel as to the prophecy of the coming Holy Spirit, this was written by, uh, by Joel hundreds of years before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, you can see this in the Scriptures where prophecy has been proven to be absolutely accurate, which then not only says that it's accurate, but it's authoritative. It will speak into people's lives in ways that you and I can't speak. That's why it's so important to use the Word of God when we're witnessing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, it doesn't say some, or a little bit here and a little bit there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for um, uh, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So then we see that the Word of God comes with the full backing of God's authority, which means that the Word of God can be trusted. So we're working with a really reliable, accurate, authoritative, trustworthy document. And Peter declares the relevance of God's Word by quoting the Old Testament. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of saying, well, look, when I, when I show you from the Old Testament what's happening, it just shows you how the Word of God works together to bring that message across. So the use of Scripture... We don't need to have a seminary degree to do it. We just need to read our Bible, mark our Bible, be able to use our Bible, and it's a discipline that's really important when it comes to sharing the good news. Now, here's the second thing I think is really important about using the Word of God. It's good to uh, memorize the relevant Scriptures. So we'll say to some of the people who come on a mission trip with us, look, if you can't memorize it, then, well, as I'll say in a minute, it's good to uh, maybe um, mark them knowing that the relevant scriptures that you want to share as far as sharing the gospel is concerned is really important. Well, the other thing about memorizing scriptures is to meditate on the relevant scriptures and how to use them. For example, um, you get Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I'm sharing with a South African man in a prison. So I'll, I'll tell him, no, just read that for me. So I'll get him to read it. And he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, do you think that includes you? That's the first question I'll ask him. And he'll say, yes. He's not certain sometimes. So I say, for all of sin. So that means you and I are sinners. So tell me what you think sin is. And you'll get some of the most creative answers you have ever heard in your life. Uh, bear in mind, we're in, we're in prison. I remember asking a prisoner one day, have you ever told a lie? No. I said, okay, so... Uh, is there any reason why it is that you're in prison? Oh, I don't know. Oh, sorry, yeah, on it goes, you know. But anyway, so, so we see, so what I'm saying here is that we meditate on these scriptures, we know what we're doing. So for all have sinned, so we know that sin is, if I come along and I steal this from you, is that wrong? And he said, yes. So they get, they get the idea eventually. So we develop the fact that we're all sinners. We develop what sin is. So we know what it is in terms of um, how that moral compass that we have uh, and fall short of the glory of God. So I said, now, what do you think the glory of God is? And they'll come up with some more creative answers, but it's the perfect, sinless character of God. So I said, there's, there's obviously a gap here, isn't there? I said, we're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. There's a gap here somewhere. So then we need to bridge that gap so we can have a relationship. So you see what I'm getting at? So when we learn how to use the Scriptures when it comes to evangelism, then we're able to share with a greater deal of confidence. And as I said before, if you can't memorize these Scriptures, just mark them. So we get a lot of people who come on a mission trip with us. They'll pull out their little Gideon's New Testaments and they'll mark them all in yellow, those key gospel verses that need to be uh, used. So, so using the Scriptures can be done in a number of ways. 
You may have a favorite gospel track that you want to use, Bridge to Life or something like that, Four Spiritual Laws uh, and so on. Uh, there may be other things where you might want to use in, in our Western culture. It may be books, emails, websites, it, it, yeah, rapidly disappearing, CDs or DVDs. Um, they seem to be disappearing. And of course, conversations. Now, we must see here that... Uh, how can I put this? While the means or medium is important, the message uh, is made more effective by presenting the Word of God because it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. So sometimes you'll find a non-Christian will read a verse and it will speak to them. And they think, that's me. So it's really important. Okay, thirdly, focus your discussion on Jesus. Now that seems rather obvious, verses 22 to 24. This can start with sharing your testimony, as I said. And then Peter makes reference to Jesus' life and ministry and that he was a man attested by God via the miracles, the wonders and the signs that were done. So Peter is very intentional in showing his hearers that Jesus is the only way to the Father, not one of the ways. And that's often what you hear in today's uh, culture. Interesting enough, I was just reading a survey in America amongst evangelical Christians and some 57% of evangelical believers believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Now that word evangelical is obviously used very loosely because if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, we're in serious trouble. So Peter bears witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Why is this so important? Well, there needs to be clarity uh, as to what the gospel is. You know, we read there in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Here's what Paul says about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So there you tie the two together. And then it says that he, and he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he says again, according to the Scriptures. So he ties in the Gospel clearly to the Scriptures. So there needs not only to be clarity in what the Gospel is, but what the Gospel does. Amen? So we see here, Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So when you start to explain that verse to some people in prison, you can come up with some very creative things. But then Jesus died for our sins, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we see here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus makes atonement for our sins and became our substitute. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. So we see how, what the gospel does in all of this. So Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. So, so why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus' resurrection gives Christianity an absolute uniqueness that no other religion has. The debt of sin has been paid in full by Jesus, delivering us from a works mentality. We don't have to do it. It's already been done for us. You talk to any person who's religious and they're saying, well, I'm trying my best. And I said, well, you'll never get there. Because when are you good enough and when have you done enough? So Jesus' resurrection is both fundamental and foundational to the gospel. The cross is both meaningless and, pow and powerless without an empty tomb. Amen? So Jesus, his victorious resurrection brings hope to a dying world, but it can only be done as we communicate that good news to a lost and dying world. 
So it's important that once we've built a relationship with our neighbour, our friend, our work colleague, our family member, that we keep the focus on Jesus. John 4:42 says this, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. No one else could say that about, him, about himself except Jesus. Why is that so, uh, you might ask? Do you know, remember that professor on, was it on the ABC? He said, why is this so? You remember that one? Julius Sumner Miller, Miller, that's the one I want. And the the simple answer is that their graves are not empty, but they're full. You know, so when you see that that, uh, we we worship a living saviour. Okay, number four. Again, pretty simple. Allow for the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 37 to 41. Holy Spirit witnessing will always bring Holy Spirit conviction. That's really important. John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now we need to be wary of relying on witnessing techniques as an end in themselves rather than relying on the Holy Spirit enabling grace and strength. No matter what method we use or approach that we take, unless the Holy Spirit is at work, nothing will be achieved. So why should we be careful about depending upon techniques? Let me give you a few little thoughts about this and feel free to ask me a question. Number one, if we rely on techniques, we start to rely on our own abilities rather than the Holy Spirit's anointing. Now there's nothing wrong with techniques as long as we're not just thinking, oh, we'll use the technique and that'll do the trick for us. Then secondly, we rely on our personality traits such as that one's ability to talk rather than listen. Now, my wife says I have a a very good ability at talking, but not so good at listening. And I think she's right. Number three, we can get caught up in all sorts of arguments. This can be especially so when the witnessing comes down, sort of down the intellectual path, which leads me to the fourth thing. We can fall into the trap of competing intellects. You know, that's more pride-driven than spirit-anointed. I'm going to beat this guy, I'm going to tell him how it's done, you know, oh, I'm, I'm smarter than he is. Well, that's not what it's about. It's not about winning the argument. Then number five, we can get wrongly drawn in to banging on closed doors. This person isn't ready. There's no point trying to witness this person. You're building a brick wall that someone else has to tear down brick by brick. Then lastly, and most importantly, techniques can... Um, help us to neglect or forget the importance of prayer for who to witness to and how to do it. Sometimes God will lead you down a path that you think, man, I didn't see that coming. And that's why E.M. Bounds put it this way when he said this, it is a great thing to talk to men about God, but it's greater still to talk to God about men. So who are you praying for? Who's the person you're trying to reach? So we see the work of the Holy Spirit as Peter preaches. John 16 verse 8 says this, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So we've got to realize that this is a Holy Spirit um, exercise. But notice how the Holy Spirit worked. The people were pierced to the heart, verse 37. What was, what was said hit the mark. And so we see here that the listeners realized they had a problem. Another translation says that they were pierced to the heart. It says they were cut to the quick. Now, I don't know, ladies, you'll know this, but my wife grows these long things on the end of her fingers called nails. But every now and then, 
she'll go and knock it and she'll break one uh, off and then you'll see where she goes right back to the cuticle and then you can just see it's so sensitive uh, when, you, when you touch it. So Luke is telling us that as the Holy Spirit is working deep into the hearts of those Peter is speaking to. You know, I've heard preachers, uh, my good friend Harold Peasley, who I've worked with in South Africa, is now in Canada, and I've heard him preach, and when you can just sense a Holy Spirit, hush. The Spirit of God is working in people's lives, and you just know that God is speaking, and the words are hitting the target, the heart. Hitting the heart. Now, the evidence of this is that people cried out asking, what will we do? How do we get this sorted out? And Peter gives them clear guidance in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, note here that baptism is not a requirement for salvation, although some people use this verse for that purpose. It clearly does not teach that. But it is a desire to be baptized. is evidence that the person is genuinely saved. Also, if baptism was the means of salvation, you've got a big problem because the Holy Spirit is no longer a gift. It's something you have to do to get the Holy Spirit. But then notice the promise of salvation is not only for the hearers, but for the families and for those yet to come to Jesus. And this underlines the responsibility that we have to gossip the gospel. We gossip lots of other things. I reckon we'd like to get good at gossiping the gospel. Okay, number five. Don't forget to give people a chance to respond. Again, I want to look at verses 37 to 41. We've seen how Peter called his audience to repentance for their sin and public confession of Jesus as the Saviour and Lord. However, difficulties arise when, we allow, when allowing someone the opportunity to respond to what they've heard. So I think for a lot of us here tonight, you'd probably say, now, okay, you talk to someone, I talk to Alan, I say, okay, you're ready to make a commitment to Christ. And we, we sort of, uh, we, we, we really don't know how to go about it. And we become overly cautious. And what happens then is often we lose the opportunity because we lack the Holy Spirit boldness to move forward. And sadly, we lose uh, that, uh, that um, much needed opportunity. I remember reading the biography of D.L. Moody. I don't know how many of you have read any of D.L. Moody's stuff, but D.L. Moody how on one occasion he was preaching in his church in Chicago and it was, uh, um, it was a Sunday night and for whatever reason he did something that he normally never did. That particular night he decided not to end his message with an appeal for people to respond to the gospel. Well the next day the great fire of Chicago hit and many of the people who were at that Sunday night service perished in the fire and he says in his biography it haunted him for the rest of his life. So there are a number of things to take note of when looking for a genuine response to the gospel. Let me give them to you and hopefully they are, they are helpful. One, don't push for an artificial response to the gospel. Sometimes you'll respond to someone and I might come along again and share with Alan or with Will and share the gospel and say, okay, do you want to pray a prayer of commitment? And you just know, and I've seen this, I've done this, made this mistake myself, you sense, no, I shouldn't do this. This person is not ready to respond. So don't push for an artificial response because it's, uh, witnessing is not about boasting in numbers or pride or stroking the ego. Another, you know, someone in the kingdom of God. I mean, the only person we're lying to is ourselves. Two, make sure people are clear about what they are actually responding to. Now, I've, I've been to a church and I've heard a pastor preach a message and then make a, an appeal for people to come to Christ. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what are they responding to? 
There's no gospel there. There's no, nothing about sin, repentance, forgiveness, nothing. So what, what, what are they actually responding to? And then they come up and they make a decision and so on. I'm thinking, doesn't make sense to me. But it's always good to ask the right questions when it comes to that. Thirdly, don't be frightened to repeat yourself if necessary to help clarify things. I remember a number of years ago, I used to live up at Kalamun in the hills. And on one particular night, it was really uh, thick fog. So I'm going down Canning Road. And I'm thinking, I'm going, well, I slowed right down. I thought, oh, yeah, I think I'm finding my way. Until all of a sudden, the fog just cleared and there was this petrol bowser. I was heading straight for it. So I suddenly stood on the anchors and I thought, hmm. I thought I was fine until I, started to, until I saw that petrol bowser. And so, it's, so clearing the spiritual fog means repeating yourself to clarify things, then it's wise to do it. And that's what I want to say. Do you understand what you're responding to? If you have any questions, please ask them. Now's your chance to ask them so you know what you're actually responding to. Five, four, be ready to answer questions. Do you have a question? Ask me a question. Any question, I don't care what it is, and no question is, is too simple or too basic. Nothing is stupid. This is eternal issues we're dealing with here. So be ready to answer questions and help them to understand what the gospel is. That's exactly what Peter does when the audience asks him, what shall we do? And he said, uh, no, uh, repent and be baptized. Number five, remember evangelism is a process. What's the process? Pray, sow, water, reap, disciple. Okay? So, and you, so you need to realize that the person you're speaking to is only part of the way through the journey. So they've, they've been prayed for and the seed has been sown. Well, that's it. But let's not jump the gun and try and do something that, uh, at, um, that is not right to do at that time. So your witness may, may be only about putting a pebble in the shoe for the person that you're speaking to. For example, I had um, a lady come into our office one day. She was delivering paper for Spicer Papers. And we had our own printing uh, set up there in those days. And her name was Ruth. And I said, oh, that's a biblical name. And she said, oh, I'm a trainee Jehovah's Witness. I said, oh, that's interesting. So then from my knowledge of Jehovah's Witness, I said, oh, you people, I, and I just straight away asked her a question. I said, you people don't believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, do you? No, no, he, he, he's a force. <laughs> Something like that, she said. So I said, would you mind if I showed you some verses of Scripture? So I pulled out my little uh, New Testament and I went to Romans 8 and verse 9. And it says, if you've not got the Spirit of Him or the Spirit of Christ, you're not of Him. So I said, Ruth, you've read that. What does that say to you? And then she said, oh, um, when I'm baptized, I'll be okay. So then I learned another important lesson that obviously Jehovah's Witnesses believe in some sort of baptismal regeneration. Then I said, no, read it again. Five times I asked her and I said, no, what is that telling you, Ruth? It's telling me I'm not a Christian. I said, exactly. I said, now turn with me to John 16 and verse 13. And I said, now remember you said the Holy Spirit's a force. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so explain to me why then it says, he will teach you, he will guide you. He will lead you. How can a force do that? Can you explain that to me? And you could just see her mind like this, ticking over. I said, let me give you one other verse just to get you thinking. Go to Ephesians 4 and verse 30 and it says this, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. So can you explain to me how you can grieve a force? No personality, no mentality, no mind, nothing. And I see, what I was trying to do there was to put a pebble in the shoe. 
so that she went away and said, oh, I'll, I'll go back and talk to my thing. And, and I thought, well, I'll, we'll see how that goes. Never saw it that day. But I could only pray that I put a pebble in a shoe. Number six, remember we're called to be witnesses as we read in Acts 1.8. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts and converts. Paul echoes this for us in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. That's what he says. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This delivers us from what? From guilt-driven evangelism. That's not what this is about. Number seven, remember you can't get a harvest unless you've sown a seed. Now why am I saying that? In other words, our expectation for evangelistic outcomes need to be grounded in a well-thought-out evangelism strategy. Now, it's no point putting on some sort of event and expecting like a carols event or some sort of Easter event when we've actually got no, none of that process in place. And then churches then say, oh, well, we've tried that and it didn't work. And I said, well, how did, what did you try? What was it that you did? And then they explained to us, I said, well, that's not evangelism. I said, you're just trying the old attractional evangelism approach. And I said, nothing happened. And that's why I love here when it says here that we need to realize that uh, our evangelistic uh, expectations need to be grounded. Number eight, remember the goal of the gospel witness is not only to get people to pray a prayer of commitment, but to turn from their sins to God or from their sin. Paul talks plainly to King Agrippa in Acts 26, 19 to 20. He says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, says Paul, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, says Paul, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. In other words, they were the real deal. Number nine. So for genuine conversion, three things have to be grasped. Sin, repentance, and lordship. Now, we might not use that sort of terminology, but they're the three things that we're looking at in terms of what we're looking at here. Luke 24, 45 to 48 says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. And the last thing is this, Remember, every opportunity will be different. So be flexible in how you witness. So don't be a slave to a method, but learn to adapt the principles. For example, I'm a great fan of the way of the master. I don't know how many... Um, will you, have you heard of the way of the master? Yourself, Alan? Yeah? You, ladies? Mike, you're familiar with the way of the master? Yeah, uh, uh, Ray Comfort? Okay. Well, Ray Comfort, you know, when you see him and he does his various... Um, uh, CD presentation or DVD presentations he's a great believer in using the Ten Commandments but uh, the way in which he does it in America would really struggle here so what I find is really important I'll, I'll, I'll do something like this when I'm sharing with someone do you think you're a sinner? no and I said well look do you mind if I just show you something um, you know just, just a little differently so I'll say now you know, this, this morning I got up and I looked in the mirror and I thought man I'm looking old. And then I, I turn on the lights and I, I got a shock. I looked at all the wrinkles and the, you know, the hair's going gray. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm in trouble. And I said, yeah. And, they, and I said, you know, and, and then usually they'll start to, to laugh. And I said, do you mind if I show you what we're really like on the inside from a different sort of mirror? I said, yeah, sure. 
So we go to Exodus, you know, Exodus 20, uh, Deuteronomy 5, and I talk about the Ten Commandments. But what we do is we adapt it in such a way that, that the Australian humour and so on is something that would accept it. D.L. Moody sums it up beautifully when he, in, and the, uh, the privilege that we have to share the gospel when he said this, There is no greater honour than to be the instrument of God's hands of leading one person out of the kingdom of Satan into the glorious light of heaven. There's no greater privilege. Okay, last thought. You can say amen now. Continue to be willing and persistent. Research tells us that for anyone to come to Christ, so if I'm witnessing any of you, it'll take somewhere around eight to ten endeavours to actually bring you to that place of surrender. To um, be persistent um, is beautifully stated for us in Acts 17 and verse 6 when it says this, and when they could not find them, that is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also. Now I'd love to think that uh, Muck and Burden Church of Christ says, this is the church that has turned the countryside upside down. Good night, every time we're near them, they're sharing the gospel. So if you are going to be willing and persistent, you need to take time to sharpen the blade. Have you ever watched an Axeman in one of those country shows? And, uh, you know, they're, they're going into, the, into this chopping contest and they pull out this thing and they're just going over this, the, the edge of the axe. And they get a bit of oil on there and then they just run the piece of paper and it just cuts. Now, why? Well, the reason they do that is they realise that having a sharp axe means they can get through that piece of wood in a, in a, in a big hurry. So when it comes to being persistent and willing, we need to sharpen the, the, the spiritual axe, so to speak. So let me close on these helpful points and then I'll get evicted. First of all, study the scriptures carefully, especially those areas that deal with evangelism. For example, look at the woman at the well, uh, John 4. But then go and compare that with John 3 and how Jesus deals with, the, with Nicodemus. Now, with the woman at the well, he takes all these various steps to communicate the gospel to her. But with Nicodemus, he just says, unless you're born again, buddy, it's straight down the slide, straight past go, no $200 and down the slippery dip. Uh, translation, you're going to hell. He doesn't, doesn't give any beg your pardons. Now, why? Because he was religious. He had lots of mental knowledge, but no hard experience. Whereas the woman at the well, she'd been married five times, was getting scar tissue from all the rice thrown at her after five weddings, and then she's thinking, I'm living with a bloke now, and so on. Secondly, read good books on evangelism. Mark Cale's books, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, William Fay, Share Jesus Without Fear, uh, Bill Hybels, Walk Across the Room, Greg Kukul, The Book on Tactics, uh, Ray Comfort, Hell's Best Kept Secret. Read books on evangelism that stir your juices. Do courses on evangelism. As a church, get serious about training yourselves. I mean, you know, it's, it's just to me, if you're going to do a, uh, when it comes to reading books, if you're going to do a course on um, biology, you'll read books on biology. Well, if you want to get good at evangelism, you read books on evangelism. Four, develop a prayer list of lost people you're praying for. So how many lost people are you praying for at the moment? Here in this city, uh, in this town, sorry. How many people are you praying for? Mum, dad, brother, sister, friend, neighbour, work colleague, who is it? Write the name down, pray for it. Five, create opportunities to witness. Greet your neighbour. Now, what I'm going to do this coming week, I've just greeted Richard and Wendy next door. Now, Wendy's mum just died, so I, I'm, I'm sort of here, 
and they're over the other side. We're on a corner, uh, sort of corner block. And so I want to make a point to go to her mum's funeral next week. I've been witnessing to Richard and Wendy and to their family, but I want to show support. So I want to go along to the funeral. So I'll be there. Um, maybe it means mowing a lawn, doing some gardening. It may mean cooking a meal. It may mean uh, joining a sports club. I know when I was younger, uh, my friend uh, Mark and I, we, we joined a cricket club with the sole purpose of being a witness to our fellow teammates. I look for opportunities. For example, I had a lady and I saw her wearing this necklace and she had a cross around her neck. It was a nurse, actually. And I said, oh, that looks very interesting. Why are you wearing the cross? And then she said, oh, well, that's just a nice thing. And so I said, can I tell you what that really means? Be observant. Look for things. You know, it's just amazing what you can find and what can happen. Um, then, then the other thing that's really important, maybe you can find commonality, a teacher witness to a teacher, a scientist to a scientist, um, a servant to a servant, whatever it might be. It's something that you can think about. Okay, one last thought. I like it. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, whether you've got bunions, ingrown toenails, whether you've got bent toes or wobbly feet, as far as Jesus is concerned, they're beautiful if you're willing to gossip the gospel. Amen. Okay, any questions? You sat there and listened very nicely and no one fell asleep, so that's good. I'm grateful. Any questions? Does it make sense? It's basic, as I said. It's not, it's not complex or rocket science or anything like that. You can go through the PowerPoint again if you want to. Uh, there's also available notes. These notes are available that I've given to Mike as well if you want to have a read. Um, but I think for, for um, Muck and Boot and Church of Christ, if we're going to make a difference to this town, this is a gettable town. 274 people in town. I mean, that's like three men and a dog as far as I'm concerned. And that we can reach into every home in this town. We can be doing everything we can and praying for every home in this town. And then praying for all of our community. It's 555, I think I saw on the sign on the way in. And we're praying for every farmer who's on a hit list who doesn't know Jesus. And then we go to the next town and whatever it is that we need to do. So then suddenly we're pushing this back wall and saying we need to make more room. Why? Because we've got a vision. We've got a purpose. We know what we're aiming at and we want to hit it. Oh, well, pro probably the, the best one of the best examples I've, I've come across was um, uh, a letter I received uh, a while ago from a young lady in Tasmania. And uh, the letter started with this question, can I know forgiveness? What a great question. And uh, anyway, she went on to relate how um, that her husband was uh, a truck driver. And she... Um, she said goodbye to him. He's gone for about three weeks at a time. So he'd go from Tasmania to the mainland. So we were mainlanders, in case you're wondering, um, as they describe us. Anyway, she did something she thought would never happen. She had an affair. Anyway, she, um, she was going down to a local general store just down the road from where she was living in Tassie and was wanting to buy a new crockery set. Anyway, the people who owned the general store were Christians. And of course, they, just, they had some old copies of Challenge that they um, had left over. So they decided to wrap the cups and saucers and plates in the old copies of Challenge. Now, we don't recommend that as a distribution method. Um, but, yeah. But, so she, she relates in the letter that she unwrapped a cup and an article caught her attention. So she decided to put that edition of the paper all together and read it from cover to cover. 
And so it led to her uh, writing to us, can I know forgiveness? So we put her in touch with uh, uh, Milton and Robin Gabrielson, a uh, Baptist pastor and his wife, and they're lovely people. And I got a letter back six months later, and it basically said three things. She said, first of all, I want to let you know that I've joined a, Bible, a home Bible study group. Uh, secondly, I want you to know that I've, become, I've made a commitment of my life to Christ. I've become a Christian. And thirdly, she said, and she said this almost in passing. She said, oh, I want you to know that my marriage has never been better. We've been reconciled. And I thought about that, and I said, now, how did that happen? It was a seed wrapped around a cup, and at just the right time, the Spirit of God took it and used it. So it was amazing. And that's here in Australia. Uh, another story that was really encouraging to me was about a guy who came from Mozambique down to South Africa. Now, if you're traveling from Mozambique down to South Africa, the general mindset is that South Africa is the land of milk and honey. Well, this guy from Mozambique arrives into South Africa and discovers that the milk is dried up and the honey is non-existent. So he does what every African does, he commits a crime. So he ends up going to jail, and then the partner organization we work with, World Hope Prison Ministries, goes into the prison and preaches the gospel. He gets wonderfully saved, does his time, and then comes out to Pastor Willie Dangley, who heads up World Hope Prison Ministries in Johannesburg, and said, Pastor Willie, I want some Bibles, I want discipleship notes, and I want um, packs of challenge. And Pastor Willie said, why? He said, I'm going back to Mozambique to plant a church. Now, I was thinking to myself, okay, I, I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I, I, just, I could plan all that. Come to uh, South Africa from Mozambique, um, commit a crime, go to jail, get saved. <laughs> You're just sort of thinking to yourself, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, then I had another guy walk up to me out of South Africa, and he said, oh, you know, we, we've used challenge. I said, no, I, I didn't. He said, yeah, yeah, we use challenge to plant a church in Kimberley. We've called it Challenge Baptist. <laughs> And I just laughed. I just thought, challenge? Why did you call it challenge? Well, we used challenge to plant it, so we thought it was a good idea. So I thought, you know, and so uh, who knows? Um, but I just had a report from Pastor Willie for the last couple of months for the, uh, and I mentioned this tomorrow, uh, for the prison. Uh, now, in a, in a COVID time, we've been getting almost exactly 500 first-time responses to the gospel every month. Every month. And in, in a, the US, we're getting about anything from 1,000 to 1,400 first-time commitments out of the 400 prisons we're working in in the U.S. We would love to get into every one of the prisons. In the U.S., they have 10,000 prisons, 2.5 million people behind bars. It's a small nation. You know, you imagine what the, what the tax bill is on that. It'd kind of give you a heartburn after a while, wouldn't it? So, yeah. So, there are just some of the things that happen with challenge, and there's so many things we don't know. We honestly don't know. And we get a steady trickle of responses coming in, in from uh, the Australian papers. And uh, we're just trusting God for whatever happens. We're just trusting it's good. And uh, you know, being able to help churches start witnessing and getting out there with the paper, it gives people a good starting point. That's the important thing here. So to get every home here in this town, put a paper in, the, in, the, in their home on their front veranda. Uh, you know, when you do the carols event, you invite every person along. Use the paper. Do whatever you have to do. To get them there, and that's the thing. That's the way I look at it, and uh, go from there. Why don't I close in a word of prayer? Unless anybody else has got a um, a question. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question, Mike. Uh, we get um, lots of people who write to us, who send us in stuff, 
And then I've also got uh, I've got uh, a wonderful assistant editor in Jodie Bennett, who does a superb job. And then we've got a, um, a sub-editor in Janice Teo, who's joined us from the West, been with us uh, quite a few months now. She's In fact, it's over a year. And then we've got another one, uh, Harriet Coombe, who's joined us, who was involved with YWAM and so on. But Harriet has joined us. And then we have a young journo in uh, Ainsley Gabler, who's joined us. So we've got uh, a team of people who are involved in following up stories, researching stories, and so on. And uh, you can see every edition, there's a whole uh, you know, herd of new stories and so on that we've got. And it's, it's a never-ending task. And uh, trying to make sure that every edition is interesting and engaging and so on. So, for instance, just to give you an idea, this, this month we have now generated 10 different editions of the paper. We will print probably, I'm guessing, 400,000 papers just for this month. And we're printing something in the vicinity, maybe a bit more actually, but we're printing something in the, uh, in the vicinity of about 4 million uh, papers a year, um, including what we do out of the UK with the UK newspaper, Good News. And, uh, and we, we could do way more than that. We're about to start our, another new project in the Philippines, and we think that will take off gangbusters. We really do. So it's just, and we're a Mickey Mouse outfit. We're a small, very insignificant ministry, but we do a lot with what the Lord gives us. And so, um, yeah, it's a bit like what you do with you know, International Missions Ministry, Ross and Don. I mean, they do an enormous amount of work, but what, what they get, we're similarly minded. You know, we operate on a shoestring. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Okay, let me close in a word of prayer, eh? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for our time together tonight. And I just thank you for these lovely folk who've come uh, to listen to me speak, Lord, and I just pray that what is shared is a word in season. I pray it's helpful. And, Lord, I just pray that we can make those notes available if people want them. And, uh, Lord, they can have a look at the PowerPoint again and go through that just to keep reminding themselves how, how important it is to have that readiness to witness to be ready to speak to anyone. And uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you for that. Just uh, I want to pray, Lord, that as we gather again tomorrow, would you bless our time together as, uh, Lord, we just, I just give a report. And then also, as I speak uh, on the subject of don't dither, just do it, on, on the whole subject of missions. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for that and just want to commit our time to you now uh, and again for tomorrow. And thank you, Lord, for our gathering. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.